Amen. Well, can anybody guess what the title of today's message is? <laughs> Boy, you guys are so good. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and the bottom underneath there, whether you can see it or not, is Have Church or Be the Church. That's the title of this series. And this comes from something I felt God speak to me when we were on vacation two weeks ago, sitting on the front porch of my mother's cottage in Maine, and wonderful time to just spend time in the Word, spend time just fellowshipping in prayer with God and, and with one another, my wife and I, just the two of us. And I felt about Wednesday or Thursday, God began to speak to me and speak to me that Faith Christian Center is at a crossroads, and not just here, but many churches are at a crossroads. Crossroads is a place where you make a decision which way you're going to go. And the, the two roads are laid out for you, but you make the decision which path you're going to go down. Jesus talked about two roads. We're not going to get into that this morning in Matthew chapter 7. There's a, there's a narrow road that's difficult, and then there's an easy road that's obviously easy. The difference is not whether they're easy or hard, it's the destinations. And so the church, I believe, this is what God was showing me, is at a crossroads. This church, this next year, will be in existence for 39 years. Pastor Sam Smith and Donna came from Texas in 1979 and founded this church. This church has been in this building since, I think, 1986. God has blessed this church, taken us through many difficulties and good times. And this church has stood strong through all kinds of challenges because there's a God-ordained purpose for this church. But just because there's a God-ordained purpose for the church doesn't mean we're going to do it. Because the God-ordained purpose is what He's planned out, but we have a choice whether we're going to do it or not. And you and I are living in an age, I got, we got saved in the late 70s, right at the height of the charismatic renewal and it moved into the 1980s when there was an explosion in teaching centers, that's what this church came out of. There was an explosion in the church, it was growing dramatically, the move of the Spirit was strong, there were gifts of the Spirit, but we're in a different time now. We're in a time that's marked by complacency a time that's marked by people that are just satisfied. And it's not just because we're sitting around and we're just satisfied because we're lazy. There's lots of distractions in our lives today that may not have been there 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or 40 years ago. But the reality is, and this is very common, this is around the world right now, with the exception of several pockets where there's a revival right now in other parts of the world. In fact, places in Africa and places in South America are sending, and in Australia, are sending missionaries to the United States. Because the church in the United States is in trouble. The church in the United States is in trouble. And it's the church that knows a lot, like us. <laughs> and we sit here with all we know and are doing what we're here to do. And we're at a crossroads. We're either decide to, to be the church or to have church. And as I explained to you last word, week, that term, what it means to me is, is there's an expression that people would use back in the, in the charismatic renewal and the explosion of the Holy Spirit is, you know, we come to church and there'd be a time of worship and there'd be prophecies high and there'd be gifts of the Spirit operating and people running around the church and shouting and all kinds of wonderful things happening. And they leave and say, wow, do we have church today? And go out those doors, get in their car and go home and nothing was different in their lives. So we could open it up, and the Spirit of God will move if you open it up, and we could have a great time of entertainment and go out, and not only would we not be changed, but the world around us would not be changed. And the real question that's on my heart is, with, with 39, almost 39 years of existence, what impact has Faith Christian Center had here? We've had an impact around the world because we give to over 40 missionaries. 
And some of them, we subvert a large part of their support. And we have a number of them in to give us reports and tell us, but what impact have we had in Providence? There's some, but what impact have we had? The old expression was, if suddenly we folded up our doors next week, who would notice? Who would notice if we weren't here? And the answer to that is that it shows us what impact we've had, what relevance we've had. There's another expression that sometimes was used and it just went out of my head. <laughs> have church, be the ch- have church, oh, it'll come back to me. All right. Oh, play church. I used to hear that. Have you ever heard that? I've been around for a while. It's time to stop playing church. And what does that mean? We come and do church things. And we, but the real thing is this. This is what it is. Thank you, Lord. The real difference between having church and being the church is the motive of why I come. I saw a, 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 a sign on a, I hope I get this right, a sign on a restaurant on, on Monday where we went to have breakfast. And it was a sort, picture of a chicken crossing the road. And the chicken, the quote is, please don't question my motive as to why I'm crossing the road. Some of you will get that on the way home. Why we do what we do is far more important than what we do what we do. Because if you have the why, you'll do the what. But if you just have the what and you don't have the why, the what gets dead, it gets tiring, it gets difficult. It's like, I'm sure many of you have been through this experience of, of I, I should read my Bible this morning, so I open it up and it's like, where's that other cup of coffee? I, what did I just read? I don't know where it is. Oh, you know, well, I got other things to do. And I won't ask for a show of hands because we've all been there. That's because I've forgotten why I read it. So I get up every morning, I can't wait to get in my Bible because I know why I read it. I can't wait to pray because I know why, because I'm getting something back out of it because I'm giving something into it. So, so playing church means we come and we go to church for what we get out of it. And what happens then for if I stop getting out of it what I want, then I leave or go somewhere else where I can get what I need there. And that's not scriptural at all. So the question then is not whether, whether we're having church, but nowhere in the Bible does it say to have church. It says we're to be the church, not have it. And I talked to you last week about what the word church means. It comes from a Greek word, ecclesia, which means people that are called out of a larger group, called together for a purpose together. Church means people that have been called by God out of the world. And Peter talks about that. We won't get into it. And, but not just called out of the world, but called together for a purpose to do together. And what we began to look at last week is what is that purpose. And I shared with you that the only authority the church has in the earth is when we're carrying out the purpose for which we were put here. The church was not put here for our own purposes. I shared with you last week, Faith Christian Center does not exist so that I have a job. I had a very good job before I came here. I was a lawyer for twenty-some years. I didn't come here for the money, because I made good money before I came here. I'm taken care of, but I made far more money where I was before than coming here. So I'm not here because I like being a pastor. I love being a pastor, but that's because God's called me to be it. But I was happy being a lawyer. So we're not here 
just to take up space. We're not here just so we can have a place to come on Sunday morning. We're here because God has called us to do a purpose. And the Spirit of God wants to touch our hearts with the needs of people around us so that we will begin to open our hearts to fulfill that need. So we went back and looked last time. We looked at some scriptures where Jesus gives the church. See, we're not, we don't have to have a big prayer meeting. God, why are we here? Oh, Lord, why are we here? He tells us why we're here. Something that important, God's not going to trust whether we're sensitive to the Spirit or not. He tells us. Jesus, at the, in each one of the Gospels, tells them what they were here to do. And we looked at Matthew's last week. We're not going to go through them this morning. Matthew is Matthew 28. Jesus, right before He ascends into heaven, said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. You go therefore. So the reason authority was given to the church is so that we could carry out our purpose. So we've got people there that are trying to operate on the authority of the church, but they're not committed to do the purpose and wonder, why isn't the authority working? If you're wondering and you're like, why doesn't that authority? I know, I believe the word of, the name of Jesus has authority. How come it's not working? working in my life. Are you committed to the purpose of the church for which that authority was given? And so we saw it in Matthew's version of the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Disciples, not just somebody that's converted, somebody that's disciplined and trained up. And he said, teach them to observe all that I commanded you to do. So it's not just getting somebody saved, it's so that they begin to grow and mature into somebody that becomes a representative of Christ. That's what Christianity 101, we are starting in the fall, is designed to help you do if you don't know. And then we looked at Luke's version. I mean, we looked at Mark's version, Mark chapter 16. And he tells us where to go into all the world and where to preach the gospel. And we broke that down as we spent a whole series several years ago on doing it. The word preach just means to proclaim. It doesn't mean to stand behind a pulpit. That's part of it. But it means just to tell. Tell your story. And and what we're to tell is the good news. Not the bad news. The good news of what God has done for us. That God loves us. But not just that God loves us. What He's done to prove that love for us by sending His Son to die for us. And then we ended by looking at Luke's version. And Luke tells us, and we're going to actually, we're going to look there uh, at the end of the message this morning. In Luke 24, Jesus tells them, He says, you know, you're to go and teach repentance. You don't hear much of that in church anymore. We'll, We'll find out where that fits in. To teach repentance. It may just be repent from being complacent. It may be repent from being lazy. It may be to repent from recognizing I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do here. I just want to be comfortable. And the Spirit of God will touch your heart to what He needs you to repent of. But repentance is the beginning of what has to happen in the church. I don't ever want to become like the Laodicean church where Jesus says you're fat, you think you're fat, dumb, and happy. And you're naked, poor, and you know, and, and He said if you don't change, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Some hard things. But we're living in difficult times. We're living in a time when the church is no longer popular. In the 80s, it was popular. I mean, it was popular by our, by our society. We're, we're now considered the enemy. And in a way, that's a good thing. Because it makes us, first of all, it makes us serious about whether or not we believe what we believe. And the second thing is it makes us bind together and realize we need one another instead of fighting with one another. So in Luke's, he tells us to, you know, to, to repent and then he tells us to, 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 that they need to wait in Jerusalem. And this is what we have to have like. They need to wait for something. 
And I left you by saying, I'm going to tell you next week, that's this week, what they're to wait for. And what they're to wait for is, what is missing? Okay. The interesting thing is when I told them this title for today, the first graphic that Charles came up with looked like you were the one that was missing. No, you're here. Is what are you missing? <laughs> what's, what's the missing ingredient? So we're going to begin to... That's what we're going to look at this morning. But there's one more part. There's one more part to this Great Commission which we didn't look at, and that's in John 14. And this is a critical one. So each one of the four Gospels, Jesus tells them a different aspect a different facet of why the church is here. We're going to pick up in John 14, verse 5. Now this is a very important section of scriptures. John 14, 15, and 16. Because these are Jesus' last private instructions to His disciples. He's not preaching to the world here. He's not preaching to the, to, to the, to the, to the, to the Pharisees. He's got His team. His, he, had, he had three groups of disciples. There was the twelve, which he's talking to here. There's the, there was the seventy, which we'll look at a little later on, which is a larger group of followers. Then there was just the multitude, just a larger group than that, that were disciples of his. But this is a, his last conversation before he's going to be arrested and go to the cross, and he knows that. So we're going to pick up in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, because he just said, I am the way that, you know, I, you, don't, you know where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And this is Jesus' powerful answer. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known the Father, if you'd known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, This is I love it. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? I shared with you last week, these men had lived with him essentially for three and a half years. There were times he sent them out, but he would come to them or they would come back to him. They lived with him. They slept around a fire together with him often. I told you, this doesn't sound very scriptural, but it's real. They knew what his breath smelled like in the morning. I mean, he's human. He must have had bad breath from time to time. Uh, 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 they, knew, they knew what his touch felt like. And Jesus said, Have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me, Philip? So it's possible to, to be in church. It's possible to pray. It's possible to tithe. It's po- very possible to read your Bible and not know Him. These men live with Him and didn't know Him. He, this is what He's going to say, He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? They could see Him, and because they were walking by what they could see, they thought they saw Him, but they didn't know what the Father was like. And Jesus said, no, this is the plan. This is important. If you've seen me, you know what He's like. Because He's going to say later on, He's in me. But this is also true for the church. God's design is if they've seen us, they've seen Him. And the question is, when they look at us, do they see Him? God doesn't fight with Himself. God doesn't talk bad of other people. But when they look at us, and that's what we're doing, they're not seeing Him. Verse 10. Do you 
not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does... This verse is so power-packed. The words that I speak, I do not speak to you on my own authority. Jesus did not speak on His own authority. This is the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. He did not speak, He did not operate on His own authority. We won't take the time this morning, but if you go back through various scriptures in John, where He says, I didn't, I didn't come to do my own will. In, in Hebrews, it, it, I guess too, it talks, it quotes uh, an Old Testament scripture where it says, a body's been given to me. The body was given to him so that God, Jesus might indwell this body so that he could do the will of his Father. He said, I only do, I only do, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father say because I've only come to do what he once done. The only reason he lived was to do his Father's will. And that's where his authority came from. That's why the Father could dwell in him. But he who dwells in me does the works. Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. If you don't believe that because I said so, believe me because of the sake of the works themselves. In other words, if you can't see the Father in me, at least believe the Father's in me because of the works that I do. So apparently, in order for them to see God's presence in him, they had to see something that their eyes could see, which was the works that the Father did through him. Deeds, accomplishments. Now look at verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, that's a pretty strong statement. Because how many, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you really believe Jesus would lie? So, Nothing he said is a lie. So we ought to be able to be assured about anything he says. But when he starts out by saying, no, most assuredly, sometimes it translates as verily, verily. The word literally is amen, which means so be it. Verily, most assuredly I say to you. And the reason he's got to say most assuredly is what he's about to say is going to tilt their brain. The old, the old uh, uh, um, uh, pinball machines... Some of you don't remember them. They're now all videos things now. You know, and I never was into them. But you know, you pull the thing back and it goes bing, 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 and it gets stuck. So what do you do? You or maybe you just try to help the ball go where you want it to. I know none of you'd ever do that. You just, maybe I could just bump it this way. And if you bump it too hard, what happens? It goes till. Everybody knows you were cheating now. <laughs> And what Jesus is saying here is, he says, I know that what I'm about to say, unless I prepare you, your brain's going to go, tilt. <laughs> this doesn't compute. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me. Notice he doesn't say my disciples. He doesn't say the apostles. He doesn't say the prophets. Whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he just talked about the Father will dem- has demonstrated himself through the works he did through me. And now he's saying, most assuredly, those that believe on me, the works that I do, will he do also, and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. We'll explain that in a minute. That's an astounding statement. Jesus is telling the church, 
the works that I've done, you'll do also, because I go to my Father. So we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning looking at some of those works. Because what we tend to do is say, well, yeah, he preached the gospel, so we're supposed to preach the gospel. Yes, he did. He got people saved. Yes, we're supposed to get people saved. But let's look at the works he actually did. So let's start by going to Matthew chapter 4. Don't let me forget, I'm going to do something radical this morning. I almost forgot. Get so excited to get into this. Matthew 4. Now Jesus is... Jesus, we're going to see a little more in a little more detail. Uh, a few minutes. Jesus... Well, we'll look at it later. Jesus has now been... Um, is the beginning of His ministry. Verse 5. Matthew 4. No. Verse 17. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong place in my... getting ahead of myself here. Matthew... <laughs> I'm so hung up on what I'm going to... Okay, Matthew 4, 17. Jesus has, has lived, lived three, 30 years. Jesus has lived 30 years as a good boy, a good man. But He's done no miracles. This is going to shake some of your religious background. But there was nothing particularly supernaturally different about him. I don't, want to, I don't want to rock your world, but when he was born, there wasn't a halo around his head. When he was going to, 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 Hebrew, to Hebrew school to, the, to, the, to, to sit with the, the rabbi, all the other boys didn't set aside because he walked in with a halo around his head. He, just, he was a good boy. He never sinned, but he was a good boy. I, I don't want to go there. Okay. Uh, uh, but he didn't do anything he didn't do any mighty works. John, we don't have a chance to go there. John chapter 2, the, the, the turning of the water into wine, says that was the first miracle he did, and he already has his disciples with him. So we'll show you a little bit more about that. But he's now been baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. He, and he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and now he's coming out. From that time on, verse 70, Jesus began to preach and to say, oh, here we have again, repent! For the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, God's kingdom is now come to the earth. Repent. And the repentance isn't because God's angry at them. The repentance is necessary to prepare the way to receive the kingdom of God. That's why God called a man to go in front of Jesus, John the Baptist. He lived out a prophecy in Isaiah, said a voice that's in the wilderness that's saying, prepare the way for the Lord, for the coming of the Lord. And his whole message was repentance. Because a heart that is not repented is not open to see what's going on. Is not open to see that God's kingdom is here. The Pharisees were the best example of that. They couldn't recognize that the very one that they'd been waiting for was had come. So they crucified him. They didn't recognize who he was. Why? They did not have an open, repentant heart. Their heart was hardened, full of pride. And they were not open to allow God to speak to them to change their hearts. So his first message is repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He's now starting to call these disciples to follow him. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Now this is what I wanted to get to. And this is what they did. This is so easy to miss. And Jesus went about in all Galilee. That implies it was not one event. That's telling us that Jesus didn't have one one major campaign to prove that He was the Messiah. But He went about all Galilee. It was everywhere He went He was doing these things. This was His custom. This was what His life public ministry was all about. And what was it? Teaching in the synagogues. Preaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and look at this, healing all kinds of diseases and sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. As we go on this morning, you're going to see this connection between proclaiming the gospel and healing and delivering people. You can't separate them. In fact, what Jesus did more than anything else, and we're looking at what His works were, what Jesus did more than anything else was to teach and preach and to heal the sick. Verse 24. Now his fame went throughout all Syria. They brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics. What if they were brought in here this morning? What would we do? Would we be, well, I don't want to disturb our worship. He wasn't disturbed. And he healed them. All of them. Verse 25. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond all the Jordan. I was taught growing up that Jesus healed people to prove who he was. Then he only needed to do it once. We're going to have time to, we don't have time to get in this morning, but the Gospels are filled with references that He did it out of compassion. He did, yes, it, yes, it was a dinner bell, but He was displaying what the Father was like. Go back to verse 24. Diseases, torments, demon possession, epileptics, paralytics, those are all people that were oppressed by the devil. I didn't give them the scripture this morning. I woke up in the middle of the night thinking of it and I forgot to put it in my notes. But, but in, in Acts 10.38, it says how, Jesus of Nazareth, how, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing, anybody know it? Good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Satan, through sin, became the god of this world and he is out to harm and hurt everyone that he can. To kill and steal and destroy, John 10.10 says. 
But Jesus comes, 1 John verse 10, 10, says that I've come, they may have life and have it more abundantly. So God now dwells, if you, oh, I'm getting off track here, but it's good. If you want to know what God's will is, perfect will, there's three places in the Bible to look. First of all, in the beginning, when God created everything the way He wanted it, Genesis 1 and 2, because it hadn't gotten messed up yet. Starting in chapter 3, Satan gets involved and man cooperates with him, and now what is happening is a result of what they want done and what they cooperate with. The second place to look is when God comes in human flesh to dwell among us, and that's Jesus. That's who we're looking at now. What did He do? How did He act? What was He like towards people? And then the third place to look is at the end of the book when God recreates everything. And in none of those three places will you find sickness and disease. In fact, when God comes to the earth in a body of Jesus, what does He do? He removes it wherever people brought it. Now, did He heal everybody? No, He healed those that came to Him, those that asked. But listen to me, He never turned anyone down. Never. In fact, He healed some people that didn't even ask. If it was not God's will to heal everybody, wouldn't there be at least one example where Jesus said, No, I'm sorry. You're just not the person God has. There was one woman He said no to because she wasn't a Jew and she wouldn't leave Him alone. And He turned around and delivered her daughter and He stopped everybody. He said, I have not, This is great faith. That's the word mega in Greek. It's the only place it's used. She's the only one that God said had great faith. His disciples didn't have it. The other thing is, there is not one example where Jesus chided or corrected His disciples for believing too much. Don't you think if there were limits on what you could believe for, there'd be an example? I mean, if there was ever... I'm, I'm off track here, but it's good. If there was ever an example... Don't let me forget about what I'm going to do. <laughs> If there was ever an example of somebody presuming on what God, the limits that God might have on what he, we could believe Him for, it was Peter in the storm. When they're in this terrible storm and they think they're going to sink, they're afraid, they're crying out, and Jesus comes walking by them on the water. And they're afraid He's a ghost. And they cry out and Jesus says, No, don't be afraid. It's me. Hello. It's me. Now, you'd be shocked if you saw somebody walking on the water in a storm too. But Peter cries out and said, Lord, if that's really you, bid me to come. I mean, this is a man saying, I want to do what you've done. You can walk on water. I want to join you and walk on water too. You'd think that Jesus would say, no, 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 I'm the Son of God. That's not reserved, that's reserved for me so I can prove who I am. What did Jesus say to him? Come. Come. And when he got weak in faith because he got moved by the storm and, and began to sink, that's another message in itself. How do you begin to sink? We got a pond out back if you want to try it. But I guarantee you, unless you have that kind of faith, you're not going to begin to sink. You're going right down. When they get back in the boat, Jesus chides. He's upset at Peter. 
but he's not observing. What were you thinking? Don't you know you're just a man? I'm the son of God. What were you thinking trying to get out of this boat? That's not what Jesus said at all. Jesus rebuked him and says, Man, why did you quit doubting? You were out there with me. You were walking on water with me. Why did you begin doubt? He tried. You notice he didn't correct the others because they were just sitting in the boat dead. <laughs> they were just sitting. They were, oh, this will preach too. They were doing what was safe. They were coming to church every Sunday, sitting in their blue chair, getting fed with the Word, and going back at home, because nothing made me feel uncomfortable. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. That was the other eleven. Peter got wet, and he sank, but he got out of the boat. Jesus didn't even address their unbelief. He addressed Peter. But notice... He wasn't mad at him for trying it. He was mad at him because he saw in Peter another level of faith and he said, Oh man, you almost did this with me. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. You may step out in faith and fall flat on your face. Won't please God you fell flat on your face. Well, please God as you stepped out of the boat. Now we don't want to be foolish and stupid. but We don't want to be afraid and timid. And not speaking to me as much as you. The works that I do shall you do also, and greater work. Don't let me forget to do what I was going to do. Okay, all right. So now if I do, it's your fault. Matthew chapter 9. Oh, Lord. Verse 35. What's happened in the meantime is, is, is Jesus has preached what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and then he's healed a number of people. And now at the end of this chapter, verse 35, it says, then Jesus went about in all the cities. Verse, in the beginning of chapter, end of chapter uh, 4, it says he went about in all Galilee. Now he's going about in all the cities, in the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching or proclaiming the gospel or the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Okay. Here's the same testimony, except it's broader. Now let's go over to chapter 10. I don't know, they may not have these verses there, but I'm going to just keep reading down. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. For they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to sound that laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is out ministering to the knees of these people because remember these are the works the works that I do shall you do also that's what we're looking at what were those works because the father in me did those works the father in him had compassion on the people that they were hurting that Satan had been destroying their lives and he did something about it and now Jesus is looking out over Jerusalem and he says it's just me Pray the Lord, I've called you twelve. Pray the Lord of the harvest because there's so many people out there with need. I can't get to them all. Have com- I have compassion on them. So pray that He'll send other laborers out into that. And you and I are an answer to that prayer. The harvest is just as much in need and just as ripe today. 
And when he called the twelve disciples to him, look what he did. To, look what he, 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 he's preparing to send them out. Go to chapter 10, verse 1. And when he called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. So now what he's done, he's now giving this power, this authority to them because he's sending them out to reach, reap a harvest and he's now giving them the equipment they, they need to go do that. Why? Because he said, it was the Father in me that did the works. Now I'm preparing you so the Father can be in you and the same works that I began to do, you can do also. Verse 2. Now we're going to skip one down. Let's drop down. uh, Let's drop down to verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, don't go into the way of the Gentiles or or enter a series of Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. God was going to reach out to Israel first. And as you go, Preach, declare, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, God's kingdom's here. And how are you going to show that? Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. So here he's looking, he's saying, the very things that I did, he's talking to the twelve now, now you go do them. He was training them. So that back in John, where he's finishing with them, he's about to leave, he's calling them back to what he trained them to. That's what a good teacher will do. Calling them back to what he trained them to do, and now he's saying, here's the difference, I'm not going to be here anymore to hold your hand. But I'm going to go to the Father. And I'm going to ask him, he's going to send another helper. We're going to, I'm getting ahead of myself. That the one who's been with you in me is now going to be in you. In other words, the Father in me did these works. I didn't do them. The Father in me did these works. And now he's authorizing them to go do that. Okay. Now let's go to Luke chapter 10. Say, well, that's the twelve, that's the apostles. We understand that. Well, we'll see whether that was just the apostles. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others. Say 70. 70. That's the next larger group. 70 others. Notice it doesn't give us their names. And he's also, and sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among the wolves. Carry neither bag nor money. Uh, among the wolves. Okay, go down to verse 8. Whatever sitter you enter into, receive, they receive you. Eat such things as is set before you. Heal the sick there. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So now it's not just the twelve, it's the larger group, the seventy. He gave them the same commission, but notice, wherever he gives the commission, he gives them the power to verify that and to represent God among those people. 
Verse uh, 10. And whatever city you enter in and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, the kingdom of God was here today, but you didn't receive it. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah than that city. Okay. Let's go... Let's go to verse 16. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Notice the representation. Look at this. Let's go back. He says, if, 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 if somebody rejects you, when I, this is, now if they just reject you because you're nasty, that's your fault. But if you're representing Him, doing what He puts you here to do, and they reject you, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the one that sent you. And if they're rejecting the one that sent you, that's Jesus, then they're rejecting the one that sent Him. So notice this, Jesus represented the Father, and we're to represent Him. Verse 17, I love this. And then the seventy returned with joy. You want joy in your life? Go do what you're here to do. You want joy in your life? Represent Him. People may reject you, but you'll feel stronger when they do because they didn't reject you, they rejected Him. The 70 return with joy saying, Lord, Lord, it worked. Even the demons were subject to us in your name. This stuff works, Lord. Notice they didn't find that out sitting in church. Notice they didn't find that out sitting around His feet learning. They did that. That's how they became disciples. But they did what He said to do. When He sent them out, He empowered them. They went out in His power and they saw results. And they came back filled with joy. You want joy in your life. Go do what He's put you here to do. But we're going to tell you, you're not ready yet because something's missing. Okay. I'm getting excited and ahead of myself here. Don't let me forget what I'm going to do. All right. Where am I in my notes? Oh, I love this. Verse 18. And he said to them, I love it. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. They come back saying, Lord, Lord, the demons, it worked. Even the demons were subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, I'm not that impressed. Because I saw their boss kicked out of heaven. And it didn't take long. You ever see a lightning bolt? It was like that. So the fact that they're subject to my name doesn't impress me because I saw the boss kicked out of heaven. Verse 19. But behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Now stop there. Don't go out looking for snakes. (laughs) These represent demonic forces. And over all the power of the enemy, look at this, so that nothing shall by any means hurt you. You want a great verse to stand on? I give you, that word actually means authority, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy so that nothing shall in any means 
harm you. But notice that authority is in connection with carrying out His purpose. If we just sit around and live our lives for ourselves, that authority will not work so well because it's not been given to us for that purpose. But in the course of carrying out your purpose, you have something to stand on. Okay. Verse 20. Nevertheless, keep this in perspective. Don't get so excited about demonic forces and your power over them. Nevertheless, rejoice Do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Keep your perspective. This is not about demons. This is about your eternal destiny. This is about your eternal destiny. I shared with you last week, recognize this, that eternity, we're talking, we're here, the church is here because of eternity. We're here because there's an eternity that every soul is going to face at the end of their life here. And that eternity is going to be spent in only one of two places. Either heaven with God or in hell, eternally separated from Him, and in the domain of Satan and all of his demons. And because God cares about those people that are not yet in His kingdom, He's put the church here to reach out and to represent Christ, who's representing the Father. How did Jesus do these works? John 14. Don't let me forget what I'm going to do. Now I have to. I'm committed. I hope you're not disappointed. John 14.10 how did, how did Jesus do these things? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority but it's the Father who dwells in me who does the works. I've got to go through this quickly. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 Jesus is now comes down to be baptized at the Jordan River. He's about 30 years old been a good boy not ever sinned, but he's never done anything supernatural or remarkable. And he comes down in John chapter 3, verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he bore witness. I'm in chapter 4. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. This is in water by John the Baptist. And while he prayed... Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Him. In other words, you can see this happen. Now, I don't believe, and this is just me, I don't believe that this white dove kind of gently came down out of heaven. Because the Holy Spirit is a lot more powerful than a dove. But I believe as the Holy Spirit came down, you know how a dove would descend? He wouldn't go, he would gently come down. I believe that's what he's talking about there. Upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Next verse. And Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as I supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, and then it goes down through his lineage. Notice, Jesus didn't begin his public ministry until he received the Holy Spirit 
baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not, we're not going to have time to go there, but over in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, it says he laid aside, he laid aside, he emptied himself. The Greek word actually means to, to turn inside out. He emptied himself of his own glory. We may go back over this next week. He emptied himself of his own glory and humbled himself to be born as a man. He was God, but he was also a man. But his special attributes as the second person of the God, he laid them aside. So he didn't come here with some advantage, which is what religion says. Well, of course he could do the miracles. He was the son of, he was the son of God. But he laid that all aside to become like you and me that would come to him. And then he goes on and says that the, the reason he goes on to say it's to your advantage that I go. Then there was another point where he goes up on a mountain, takes Peter, James, and John, and it says all of a sudden his clothes began to glisten and became whiter than clothes that had been washed in, in bleach, and his face began to glow. And two men appeared with him, uh, uh, Elijah and Moses. And then a voice came out of heaven saying, "This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well." Listen to him. What it did is the glory that he had before was temporarily back on him to come out of him, and then it went off. And then finally, in John 17, as he begins his prayer to his father, as he's about to come to go back to the father, he says, "Father, restore to me the glory that I once had." So what was that glory? What was that power? What was the presence of God in him? It was the Holy Spirit in him. Which is why Jesus ended by saying to them, he says, look, it's to your advantage. That's an amazing statement. I've been living with you. You've got Jesus living at home with you. You forget to go to the grocery store? No problem. You'll take your oyster crackers and multiply them into a week's worth of meals. And now suddenly says... Uh, by the way, I've got to leave you, but it's to my, your, adva- your advantage, not to mine, your advantage that I'm going to go. They don't understand that. He says, why? Because when I go, I'm going to ask the Father, and He's going to send to you a replacement for me, another helper. And He's already been with you. I'm sure they're wondering, how has that happened? Because for three years, three and a half years, the Holy Spirit was with them in Him. Because that's how He did those works. And now he says it's to your advantage because he's not going to be with you now. He's now going to be in you. Sometimes I go to work and leave my cell phone at home. "Ah, Oh, my cell phone! I wonder what I'll do with those other years. I never had one. Because my cell phone's either with me or it's not with me. But I don't ever worry... This is an old expression. I just thought of it. I didn't think just... I've been so forgetful. If I didn't have my head on, I'd forget it. Did you ever forget your head? Why? Because it's part of you. You can forget your cell phone because it's hopefully not part of you. (laughs) It may feel like it. All right. Don't let me forget what I'm going to do. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to end this here because we're going to, have to pick up on this next week. What's missing? Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem for what? Until you're endued with power from on high. So having been trained and equipped by Him personally, He's saying, that's not enough. So just because you've been through new members class here or now... Christianity 101, or you've been sitting in a blue chair for 20 years. That's not enough. 
Just because I've been through Bible school. Just because I preached the gospel for 20 some years. That's not enough. We've got to be endued with power from on high because that's the means by which he preached the gospel. You ready? All right. I don't want to throw everybody off. I want to do this at the beginning. There's a scripture where Paul talks about being so committed to the gospel that he would do whatever it took to bring the gospel to people. He said, I've become all things to all men that I might if by some means preach the gospel. He had Timothy, who was, had, a, had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. He had him circumcised. I'm not going to do that. He had him circumcised. <laughs> he had him circumcised because his uncircumcision would be a distraction to the people he was sent to. So Paul's attitude is, if I have anything in my way or life that will become a distraction in ministering the gospel, I'm going to get rid of it. Now, we don't sacrifice the truth. There are principles of the Word of God that you never compromise or never sacrifice. But the methods change with generations as to what's acceptable. You ready now? What I've discovered... I'm going to back up a second. I was almost born with a tie on. Now you know where I'm going. Not literally, but from the time I was in 11th grade, I wore a tie to school because of the school I went to. College, I didn't have to. But as a lawyer for 20 years, I wore a tie. I came here on, on my work days, I wore a tie. Then I began to realize I didn't function any better with a tie on than with a tie off. What I've, and I, I feel very comfortable in a tie. What I've discovered is the younger generation, this says something to them that gets in their way. And because of that, you ready? Because of that, I'm taking this off. I really struggle with this because the ways in I dress up is out of respect for God. But then I began to realize Jesus didn't wear a tie. (laughs) What's respectful isn't necessarily the clothes themselves. It's the heart behind the one that wears them. I've really struggled with this. So I've decided if this tie will somehow interfere with our younger people being willing to listen, I'm going to take it off. I'm still going to wear a jacket on. I may come with a tie sometimes just to check in there and throw you off. <laughs> this is now considered business casual. And this is what it feels kind of good, you know, actually. I don't want to be locked into something that's going to somehow interfere with this next generation because we need to reach them. And I'm not everything, but I am the one that they'll see up here, at least for now. So, all right, everybody okay? Yes. Nobody didn't lose. I'm still saved. If you want to wear a tie, feel comfortable wearing a tie, that's fine. I, I, I feel very comfortable with a tie. Well, this feels really good, though, you know. 
you notice I changed the, the style for the worship leaders, whatever you're comfortable in. Now, obviously, you know, I'm not going to come up here with cut-off jeans or, you know, skinny jeans. You won't see me in skinny jeans. Uh, all right, praise God. That feels funny. <laughs> we did this for Wednesday night. We went to casual. The first Wednesday night, I, went, I felt naked. I felt like, oh my gosh, and then, but I get used to it. And I found that it doesn't restrict my worship. In many ways, it frees me to worship. Amen. Amen. Praise Amen. God. Whew. I did it. Now I've got to go through that again, second service. <laughs> It'll be easier. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Praise God. <laughs>